0: Welcome to Impact Duty. I'm your host, Manisha Dadlani Kriplani, bringing you empowering stories of friends and people I admire. Their voices have given me joy and the momentum to share their stories with you. Dipinder Segal is a lawyer by profession and a social activist working on various humanitarian projects. She volunteered as a keynote speaker and a forerunner for a rally in support of the ongoing farmers' protests held at the Food and Agricultural Organization United Nations in Rome. Dipinder joins us today to shine light on the ongoing protests in India. Hello Dipinder, how are you? I'm good Manisha, how are you? I'm well, as well as can be with the cold we are facing over here. It's a frightfully cold day today. Um, Yes, frankly, yes, yeah. So I'm extra glad that you're joining us. Um, on impact duty, um, especially to talk about uh, an issue that is rather relevant globally, but very significant for India, and that is the farmers' protest. Uh, It's been one of the largest protests um, in Indian history, in recent Indian history, and it's gone on um, since September, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. But I would love for you, Dipinder, to give us a bird's eye view um, on what's really happening um, and throw some light on this rather significant issue. Hmm. Thanks, Manisha. Thanks a lot
1: for having me and giving me this opportunity. You know, and you are doing um, a tremendous job, an amazing endeavor to put people on a platform. You know, especially in Switzerland, where you know. Apparently everything is mountains and cows. So <laughs> you're giving us this platform, and um, and I'm honoured, honestly, to represent this farmers' protest on a on a bigger platform like um, like you just mentioned. Um, so to begin with, like it's it is rightly said, you know, where injustice becomes law, resistance becomes a duty. So um, a protest is, you know, as you know, whereby people. From different ethnic mosaics, different cultures, occupation, religion, they object a certain cause or a certain act, you know. And coming back to uh, the farmers' protests, it is, it is essential to say that the protest has not been now, it has been a part of our um, colonial era ever since, mm-hmm. ever since, I mean, if you look at the history, ever since 1940s or before that. Mm-hmm. To begin with, um, a very eminent Salt March, which was done by Mahatma Gandhi, where he started the protest of being the fundamental right, you know, of the people, especially because uh, against Britishers, you know, at that time. Right. And then if you come, if you come in the recent history, uh, in 2012, there was a big U.S. protest against controversial laws uh, which infringed freedom of speech which infringed freedom of internet at that time. And then there was a a prominent one in 2017, if I'm not wrong. Um, It was a single day longest protest of women for misogynistic remarks from Mr. President. And it was a longest day demonstration all around US. Mm -hmm. Until recently, if you, I mean, a lot of people might not know, there was a farmer's protest in Europe in November 2020 uh, in Dutch, in Netherlands. So it was a right. Dutch protest against government policies, you know, uh, raining against uh, imminent uh, processions of nitrogen oxide and much more. So protests, like you said, protests have been an integral part of our history. Right. It is not now. It has been happening from colonial era. Up till recently, a very major protest which happened in India um, in uh, 2018, where Article 370 was rendered inoperative. And it is still in Indian constitution, but it was rendered inoperative. So uh, protests have been happening from colonial era. Coming Mm -hmm. back to this protest, it is the longest and the largest protest in Indian history. Mm -hmm. Predominantly, because more than 300,000 Indian farmers are converging around um, Delhi borders, you know. That's right. and the longest being, and the largest being, why? Because if you look at if you look at um, the the agrarian traditions of India, you know, India retains its agrarian traditions not only in farming, but in of course in industrial and uh, you know um, intellectual other things. But this uh, farming is one of the most major livelihood of India, it is a 60 and about up to 60 to 70% of the population, you know, it is in Indian farming. That's right. Yeah, so farming being the bedrock of India's economy, their imperative concern is the detrimental effect on their economic growth. So Mm -hmm.
0: this is why this fundamentally, this protest is happening. Yeah. Wonderful, Um, Dipinder, I'm gonna take you back to who is actually protesting at the moment. Um, And then I'm going to ask you what and why. Like getting into the details. So who actually is protesting out of the farmers right now?
1: It is the farmers, definitely from Indian farmers, all origin from Haryana, Rajasthan, Uttarakhand, UP, Madhya Pradesh, Maharashtra. So it is globally, you know, if you see the Mm -hmm. impact, I mean, of course it is, uh, there is an impact globally, but Indian farmers, their families, allies. The workers, the laborers, you know, they're all collectively sitting there and agitating for the for the three farm bills.
0: Yeah. Okay, and that takes us then to the the laws, which I believe are what is being um, contested. All right. So I believe there are three laws that were um, that were initiated somewhere in September. Um, mm-hmm. I believe those are the three laws that are being contested. Would you like to tell us a little in, in simple terms what these three laws are? Um, and if there's actually one out of the three laws that are being contested more than the others?
1: Um, that's a very good question because there is a there is a single clause which, more, which is more controversial than the other ones. Okay. But uh, basically this bill was passed in September 2020 last year. which created havoc all around uh, India. And it is majorly because of three reasons. Firstly, that the bill was passed unconstitutionally, you know, without procedure rules, without any verbal discount, count, recount, or any explicit, you know, discussion with farmers, their organizations, or any stakeholders. So this was the major concern of the farmers that why is it being passed not in a constitutional manner whereas if you know a bill when it is passed it has to have a major discussion in the rajya sabha and lok sabha then bill becomes an act you know so right. firstly it is not passed like i said unconstitutionally secondly it is passed in the midst of pandemic you know mm-hmm. with verbal communication and no recount like i said no discussion with key stakeholders and thirdly it impliedly deregulates the agriculture
0: sector right mm-hmm. so, And is there one out of these three that is more uh, contentious um, or that they feel the farmers feel more um, against per se out of these three or is it all three laws that are? It is being fundamentally, debated? If you look at the legal
1: uh, perspective, it is all three
0: because mm-hmm. there are and
1: ambiguities to it which uh, have an implied meaning. But if you look right. at, them, of course, explicitly you would say, oh, empowerment and facilitation, protection, amenities, they are actually you know, beneficial to the farmers. But if you, if you read through them, if you read the articles and why it has been passed, you understand the depth of it and the implied mm-hmm. meaning of it. So if you look at it, the first bill, should I explain the, you know, briefly what is it about, right? yes yes so um the first the first clause of the bill says empowerment and protection right um, of price assurances and farm services so if you look at it the farm services sounds good right exactly yeah to highlight this fact i would like to add one imperative point here that 86 percent of the farmers are small-scale farmers right so you have Mm -hmm. to keep that in mind before we understand the bill, you know? And secondly, you have to understand the, we have to touch the base, why this, this uh, bill is impacting in a detrimental way for everybody, if they see it as a layperson, you know? Because the government's infrastructure or the existing model, you know, mm-hmm. acts as a spinal column, as, mm-hmm. acts as a backbone for the farmers and the right. farmers. From providing subsidies to incentives, to mm-hmm. providing you know uh, losses for remuneration or fa- harvest failures, mm-hmm. for providing um, procurement houses storing, then selling into minimum support uh, MSP, the minimum support minimum. price. Yes.
0: Yeah,
1: and the, the giving the warehouses, which is controlled by a government body, the APMCs. That is That's right. Culture production market committee so this right. is the basis of the government the existing model which has been set by the government from last I think 30 40 more than 50 years mm-hmm. which is now being changed into private corporations into private you know um, large companies so right. this is the basis of the government which has already been there which has been right. shifted in the bills so this is to understand this this is the basis you know that mm-hmm. 80 of the farmers are the small scale farmers. Exactly. Now, if you bring them to the bill, the empowerment and protection bill, like I said, the first clause, it right. has a term called farm services. So it's a fancy word for contract farming. That's right,
0: okay. Yeah? Uh-huh. So
1: I would like to tell your viewers <clears throat> to search about contract farming to review how you know wh- how it began and what are the emphasis of that farming? So, like I said, contractual farming is a contractual obligation between um, a buyer and a farmer's produce. Right. So, you know, and if you look at it as a layperson's view, oh, it, it is going to be beneficial for the large scale farmers. If you have large farmers, you have a contract. But if you look at it with small scale farmers, firstly, they are tied up in a contractual obligation, you know, they have to grow they have to sow and harvest the same seed what is in the contract you know and there is a big x factor manisha if you look at the nature you know the harvest is not always the same
0: mm-hmm. it, it, exactly
1: yeah you know it depends on climate it depends on natural calamities it depends on a particular soil that was sowed that 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 particular region so it depends on the on the natu- nature you know um, in in massive in a massive way so if we look at contract farming there are there are many detrimental effects for example like i said they have to be uh, they have to grow a particular seed there are land constraints then there is marketing pressures farmers discontent market fluctuations and oscillations mm-hmm the small-scale farmers has to see. Now, I'm going to give you two extensive examples to understand this. And I think your viewers will get a bird's eye view of why contract farming is detrimental for uh, small-scale farmers. There was a case in 2013, and everybody knows the company PepsiCo, you know. Mm -hmm. They produced the Lay's, you know. And they sued for rupees 1 crore, the Gujarat farmers... They were small scale farmers, so they sued them because they were growing the same seeds which were given to them through this contract farming. They were sowing these seeds and just, you know, for their harvest. So they were sued for this clause under Article 64 and 65 of the PVT, which is Plant Varieties Act and Farmers Act. But the court said under Article 34, if I'm, yeah, Article 34, that the farmers are entitled and have the right to sow, harvest, and sell these particular seeds, only not brand them under the lays. Right. So, can you can you understand the irreparable loss if if the farmers, the small scale farmers, under under, uh, under this contractual obligations, that they you know small scale farmers which had up to three to four acres, not more right. than that, right. the the irreparable loss with this contractual farming. The only fault was there um, that they had this particular seed which they were they we were they were already taking from um, the PepsiCo and sowing it in the soil. So this is one of the examples, you know. So right. Understand that if you have a contractual farming with a small scale farmer, the detrimental effect is way more, you know. Right. Secondly, they are as you know they are from the rural rural areas, so they have their you know. I mean, if, as a layperson, if we read the contracts, there are conditions applied and certain glitches, glitches which, you know, you cannot understand or even I cannot understand it as in, a, in being in a legal profession. So, exactly. but them, it is quite a big thing because the government provides them minimum support price, whereas the private corporations would not. And I do right. not blame the private corporations because fidelity discounts, you know, <clears throat> and profit gain is a big commercial principle. You know, being a lawyer in a corporate world, I understand the private companies are not wrong here. It is a Mm -hmm. contract obligation with a small scale farmer, which impedes the whole act. Second example, and a very extensive one, and I think not many people know it, this contract farming was initiated in Punjab in 2003 by the Punjab government, by Chief Minister Mr. Singh, and he did that because his main objective was that the wheat and the paddy were the two main crops which were grown in Punjab at that time. Mm-hmm. So he wanted to break that bedlock for the farmers so that they uh-huh. grow barley, they grow rice, different millets which are exported, quinoa, mm-hmm. and other things. You know, to cultivate more crops in Punjab and to have right. a more good infrastructure of the economy in the near future and. One more thing is that this was government controlled. There was a government body involved in this contract Mm -hmm. farming, but it was scrapped in 2012. It failed terribly because of various reasons. First, the government changed. There was no um, proper, um, like you say, the farming produced uh, soil. Uh, There was no contract of uh, right seed production. There was no contract for proper harvesting tools. So it failed miserably. So mm-hmm. now, coming back to this law, the farmers fear if it was government controlled, then, you know, and a couple of, I just gave you an example of one case that Pepsi right. wrote. there are multiple ones where the small scale farmers are, you know, tied up with the contractual farming. And this is the most contra- controversial one. You know, so now you understand the irreparable loss, the small scale farmers and the 86% of them, you know. So they're not getting procurement houses. They're not getting the MSPs. They're not getting the government regulated bodies where they can send this, you know, harvest. And the most, um, you can say um, the biggest concern actually for them is in case of, like I said, the X factor, natural calamities and their harvest failures, there will be no subsidies, there will be right. no incentives and right. no remuneration. So right. this is yeah. the main thing, this is the most controversial one. Of course, there's a second one where um, it is about facilitation and processing, where the the farmers are not, the biggest advantage being that the physical barriers of farmers, like I said, they have to sell it into Mondays and APMC control Mondays. So now they can. They are,
0: there's no physical barrier. Right. Can go I'm going to, to ask you to to tell us what a Monday is for those who don't know what a Monday is. That is Thank a good you. question. A Monday
1: is where the farmers take their harvest. It is stored. It is like a procurement warehouse where it is stored and then sold on for the market and consumers to get. So it is a government regulated uh, process where they have minimum support price. For example, a farmer gets. Uh, rice per kg at so and so price. So it is 1 to 3% of the commission which they take and then they sell it. It is, just, it is not like if you get a private corporation instead, you know, if it is a Reliance or so on. I don't want to name them, if they come into the picture, you know, they take one, for example, wheat, they take it from the farmers and sell it for 2000 rupees per kgs or 1500 rupees per kgs in a private, in, in a private resource. So. So that is a mandi, basically, right. where you store, harvest, and sell, yeah.
0: Right, and I think you've actually um, highlighted a very key point, which is that a lot of the agricultural sector in India are small-scale farmers. It's The Indian model of agriculture is vastly different from uh, the global agricultural um, scenario. So uh, we're looking at small-scale farmers that do need some protection um, in some way in terms of uh, probably um, price control or subsidies. All right, Um, why have negotiations not been successful so far?
1: Uh, They have been of um, around 12 meetings so far
0: Mm
1: -hmm. and the negotiations have been primarily that the government is reiterating the laws just telling the farmers, you know, this is the law, we can change it a bit, we can hold it for a certain time and then we can apply it again. But the farmers, you know, it has been around 75 days now. Mm -hmm. So the farmers are saying if we had to, you know, we have, if if the law is on hold, and I would like to specify here that the Supreme Court of India has hold the law, the implementation that is interim injunction of the law for right. at least now and for good one and a half years. They said you can, you know, we can hold the law and then the discussions can go on so that farmers can go home. But right. the government said, you know, the major, major concern for the farmers is that they're reiterating the laws and we don't want to reiterate the laws. We want to reappeal the laws. Mm-hmm. That is our main concern because we cannot come back again after one and a half year and say that you know we stand here and please control the laws or they are having a detrimental effect they have understood that if the basic infrastructure is changed into private corporations and like I told you the government applied it in Punjab in 2003 and it got it miserably failed so their their imperative concern is if we cannot hold them now and then come back again so that is why you know if if like I said, any negotiation would work if it is a collaborative approach. Mm-hmm. It cannot work when both the parties stand on their objectives and say, no, we cannot move, you know. So mm-hmm. certainly the farmers are being very strong. Uh, they, are, they are not being flexible at all um, for the government to see, you know, it is a glitch in a way, but yeah. that's how it is going uh, so far,
0: yeah. All right. And um, we see the protests centered around the capital, New Delhi. Um, Mm -hmm. Is this predominantly uh, a North Indian and a Central Indian farmers protest? Or is this actually nationwide?
1: Good point, Manisha. This is, uh, initially it started with Punjab. Mm -hmm. It had UP included. Then now the Maharashtra, Uttarakhand, then um, Rajasthan and so forth and so on. But the Indian media's narrative has been that it is Punjab-focused, you know. So people, when they look at the social media, if you look at Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, then you see the videos and you're like shocked. Okay, this is happening here. This is happening there. So it Mm -hmm. is the Indian narrative which is showing that it is Punjab-based or Sikh-based, but it is happening um, around major states of India and covering a lot of Indian... Farmers, yeah.
0: Thank you. And um, there have been uh, a lot of uh, current changes in the events recently, in the last few weeks especially. And with that, has come a little bit more international media focus. We have seen key celebrities talk about the protests. Um, So that has brought a bit more global attention. We've seen tweets. We've seen um an avalanche of social media as well take up this cause um how has that affected the protests in its totality
1: very good question manisha um if you see this protest has been happening from last 75 days right that's right and apparently other than indian media no media got this uh, no international media pressure was there no international tweets was there so what initiated or invigorated this protest it is the violation of fundamental rights it is when the internet was cut it is when warlike fortification happened you know which reminded you of china pakistan borders it was the cutting of toilets and water sanitaries there yes electricity that has also been cut so it is amalgamation of all these things when the international pressure international media got involved it is the violation of human rights it is not they are not worried about the detrimental effect of the laws you know it is Mm -hmm. it is for the farmers of course but what is that which triggered international media to pitch in it is the violation of human rights you know if you look at it and to its own people the barbarian barricading you know the warlike fortification like i said it reminds you of of Borders in your own country with your own people, with people of your ethnic mosaics, with people of your uh, own religion, you know, and own community. So, so, so it is Mm -hmm. is because of that, that Rihanna and other people like Greta, you know, they tweeted that this is violation of human rights. And this was the fundamental reason why um, I would
0: like to add on uh, Manisha here, the Rome rally we had. Thank you, I was coming yeah. to that, thank you. Uh-huh. Yes, tell us. So you recently went to Rome, Dipinder, you went there. Um, tell us why you went there.
1: Um, me and our organizers, uh, they have a MAR movement, which mm-hmm. is a movement against atrocities and repression. So right. me, me together with our organizers, I was the forerunner and the, and the keynote speaker. So we went, and it was not a normal rally because we went in front of the Food and Agriculture Organization at the UN uh, room. Okay. So okay. it was primarily because we wanted to gain their attention, mm-hmm. we wanted them to intervene, you know, and then we had petitions filed. We had about 30,000 people who signed this petition. Yes, all around Europe and all around the world. Mm-hmm. We, when, um, then we submitted the petition, we had seven resolutions, which we discussed with the UN bodies over a Zoom meeting, right? and then we deposited that, and we had the memorandums, which we gave them uh, at, the, at the United Nations organization, primarily and fundamentally for the farmers, right? And this was also because the Food and the Agriculture Organization is a key perspective, you know, in this, because their pressure would have definitely come to UN, and then like you, I don't know if you know or your viewers know, there was a big statement from United Nations organization a few days back that they are going to intervene and mm-hmm. they're going to support in solidarity for the farmers, basically for the violation of human rights. So this right. rally in totality helped us to, you know, have their attention because we deposited, like I said, the memorandum petitions and resolutions. So their intervention is now of greater support and uh, this tweet is enough for everybody to know that there is international pressure from uh, not only the celebrities, but also the United Nations itself.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, there before I say goodbye to you, I wanted to actually find out from you. You know, there are a lot of parties at play over here, even within the farmers, there are a lot of groups. Um, That are within the protesters, um, rather united but nonetheless many many groups and parties within them. So what do you see as a way forward in terms of solution uh, solutions and resolutions and or in terms of finding common ground between the different parties at play?
1: Um, Manisha, like I mentioned earlier, there are more than 300,000 farmers converging at Indian borders, you know, uh, Delhi borders. And um, like I said, India retains its agrarian traditions massively. And 86% of the farmers and 60 to 70% of the population is in farming industry. So what happened now is that the farmers, especially Indian farmers have lost trust in the government in the retort and the responses of the government and the way this whole protest has been happening, you know. Mm -hmm. So now there is trust deficit between the government and the, the farmers involved and the negotiations, you know, they didn't work. And predominantly the incidents which happened, you know, in terms of the 75 days on ground. So it is the trust deficit between the parties which is missing now. The potential solution would be if the parties, or you know, the Indian government, would go there on ground, give them some you know confidence and moral and support that we are there for you. This is what is happening. You know, it is like if the person is communicating from far away, they said there is miscommunication, and the negotiations are you know the Indian government has understood that there is no uh, collaborative approach from the farmers. It is clearly one fundamental reason they want the reappealing of the laws. And it is the government who's saying, you know, we're going to delay the laws, we can add amendments, but they know that they're going to come back again with this with this privatization. Like I mentioned, you know, the, the infrastructure, the existing model is going to be replaced with private corporations. So it is the trust deficit which is a major problem right now. I hope and I pray and I also um, urge all the viewers and international people who are watching that please, you know, spread awareness, donate Carl you know, organizations like Khalsa Aid and other, other organizations who are helping on ground to provide, you know, um, all the amenities and whatever help they could do. And also mm-hmm. I would like to add um, that the Indian farmers, they're not only uh, doing the protest there peacefully and quite peacefully actually but also they're providing education there they're providing uh, you know sanitary uh, menstruation napkins and other things and they're providing medical camps for people Mm -hmm. there so it is in the plight of their agitation they're providing so many things you know Mm -hmm. it's not only a protest but a peaceful one and a and a reasonable one so it is the like I said, trust deficit between the government and the and the people involved. I hope and I pray, you know, that this um, agitation gets solved, and so uh, so the farmers can go home uh, to their home, and uh, it doesn't go into a into a violent or a you know a religious or a political agenda, but on a on a peaceful note.
0: Yeah, right. Dipendra, thank you very very much. Um, you've enlightened me a great amount this uh, through this episode, um, but more than that, you've just actually put a lot more clarity um, to the issue. So um, I gained a lot from you today um, and I hope whoever gets to view this might get some clarity as I did. Devinder, I'm wishing you all the very, very best. Um, Thank you. And may you go forward to bring um, a lot of light to this cause. Thank, Thank you Mishin. for joining us. Thank you so much, Manisha. Take care. Bye.
1: Thanks Manisha for having me. Uh, I would like to sum up briefly by saying that there might be people who do not support the bill or passing of the bill, who do not think it is detrimental uh, for the economy. I would like to urge them or encourage them to at least support uh, against the violation of fundamental rights, against the violation of human rights. So please, uh, you know, by spreading the message, by signing the possible petitions and uh, by donating uh, to certain orga- organizations like Khalsa and so forth um, yeah just supporting the the uh, supporting against the violation of human rights thank you